We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's mailbag time. We don't have a ton of questions right now. There's been a lot of really good discussion going on in the mailbag so far, uh, but not a lot of questions. Tommy so Reese always sparks a lot of good conversation. Yes, I know, right? There actually was a. It's one I didn't agree with the premise, but it was a it was a respectful conversation, which I which I yes. like. But uh, so if you have some questions, let us know, and um, yeah. So let us know uh, what what you think and what you want to ask about and what you want to talk about. So we'll, we'll we'll get to that here in a little bit. So let's let's go start here with Hulk Strongest. He says, "Hey Brian, I don't know the X's and O's, but even I can see they were using Ty- Chris Tyree wrong. How would t- Chris Tyree be effective in your opinion? You know, for me, it, it's I need to see them using him more on. You got to mix up the runs. He's not a duo guy. He's not an ISO power guy. He is an inside outside zone counter guy." And so I think that's the big thing for me is when you're playing him, you've got to play to his strengths schematically. I think you need to to mix up the inside and outside runs, as I mentioned. And then the other part, too, is, is using him in the pass game as a running back. I don't think that he is a guy that you're going to look at and say, line him up in the slot, let him run corner routes, let him run. He's 5'9". I don't want him running the seam routes because if you miss by three inches, it's sailing to the safety, you know, so – there are things you can do quick game-wise, screen game-wise, crossers, things like that, wheel routes, stuff like that, that I think Chris Tyree could be really good at. But a lot of the, his best stuff is perimeter screens while out wide as part of RPOs, and then also stuff out of the backfield. I think just getting him inside out is the way to go with Chris Tyree. And yes. what they did with him this year was slip screens, slip screens and duo. Well, you've got a quarterback who's not good at throwing slip screens to a guy who's 5'9". That's not really an ideal combination. So I don't think they necessarily used him effectively. I understand why. he. They basically viewed him as the number three back, and they didn't want to necessarily build the offense around number three back, but I think that's a mistake. Because whether you view him as the number three back or not, he's still the most dynamic player you had on offense. Uh, outside of him and Brayden Lindsay were the, clearly the two most dynamic guys. And if you're not using that, because even though Chris Tyree didn't really have any big plays this year, Ryan, every time we all ever saw, ever saw a team hit them use him that way, 
teams reacted to it. Yes. Like Clemson did it. South Carolina did it. I mean, they ripped off several big plays in that game because of how the team was responding to Chris Tyree. It was nuts. It's like they're not even using that guy, and teams are still overreacting to it. If you actually started using him that way, and you're starting to do RPOs out of you know out of with him out wide, and and, and you're starting to do you know running back stuff where you're running inside zone where he's running a slide under route, those outside overhang defenders are going to be put in a really tough situation. Do you run with Chris Tyree on the motion going outside, or do you stay and, and try to handle Aldrich Esmer, Logan Diggs on an inside zone or a duo? You start getting those guys in those binds. You're not tackling either one of those running backs if you're not fully committed to trying to step into the box and tackle those running backs. And then if they do stay in tucked inside, then you throw that sucker outside and let Chris Tyree get the ball in space. Yes. And, I mean, he's he's getting you easy 15-yard gains on those things. And so I just want to see them use him those ways and not be afraid to counter co- combo him with those other guys. And I know you love duo, and I'm not saying get rid of duo, but I am saying you need to be more diverse with what you attack people with run game-wise to the point where if you have a talented back who's not a duo guy, you can still use him, and that's the big key. And you can put him in the game for duo, but let him let it be out of 21 personnel and do more things that way and use the RPO to uh, uh, protect the edge a little bit more than you're using right now two and three tight ends to protect the edge. That's what I would like to see them do more of. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know you hit it perfectly, especially with the run game diversity, right? Like you, he is an outside, inside zone counter player. You want to be able to manipulate space a little bit as a runner, right? So I don't want him to just run straight downhill into a mass of humanity, right? Like I want to be able to make options for him. And that's what zone blocking does, right? That gives you options and that gives you increased space. And I think in the passing game, like this is a kid that should be used in the screen game. He should be used, you know, just getting him quick out in a flat or hitting a, a quick swing to him or the angle route that we saw against Oklahoma State, right, in, in the bowl game last year. Like those are the things where he is a matchup nightmare as a pass receiver against linebackers and second-level defenders. Like that is not a situation you want him to, that you want your defense to be in. So you need to evaluate and manipulate space, in my opinion, because you've seen that when you do that, Chris Tyree's made some big plays in his Notre Dame career. Just wasn't a ton of big plays this year because you just weren't using him in the way to best utilize his skill set, right? So I think in their past game especially, I think that mixing in with Audric Estime and Logan Diggs, there could be a big impact for him. Again, working against linebackers and finding those mismatches. And then when you use him, hey, he's going to be a different le- style of a runner to an Audric Estime. You're going to use him more to get outside a little bit or find that cutback lane, do those types of things. But regardless, there's still a role that could be had with Chris Tyree. I have not given up on the fact that Chris Tyree could be a really successful football player for Notre Dame if used properly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Let's go down here to our next question. We have a super chat from Robert McReynolds. He says, do y'all know what Coach Eastan looks for in a recruit? Is he looking at fundamentals only, or is there more to it? Thanks, guys, and I love the service y'all provide. Go Irish. Thank you, Robert. I don't think Coach Eastan cares much about fundamentals from the standpoint of is that going to be something that makes him decide if a guy is going to come to Notre Dame or not? Anytime you have a guy that knows how to play the game fundamentally sound, you're going to like that. But if you see a guy that has the traits you're looking for, but he's not fundamentally sound, then that's that's what I get paid all this money to do. And in some instances, it can be a positive because if a kid has is, is fundamentally sound, but it's not the fundamentals you teach, then you got to break some stuff from him a little bit. And not all offensive line coaches teach things the same. I mean, even something as simple as pass sets. Some teams uh, teach that vertical pass set, and some teams teach that you know more of a forty-five, trying to create more of a you know more of a pocket there. And it's very different, very different mentality, very different technique. It's just different. And so, you know, remember back when people used the flipper, Ryan, you know what I mean? Like it just, everybody's different. Everybody teaches it differently. So it's more so here's what coach Eastan likes. He likes length. He likes guys that are long. He usually, usually prefers tackle bodies. And if you look at some of the offensive lines he had at Notre Dame, and even some of the lines that were created by people he recruited, like the 2020 offensive line was everybody except Jarrett Patterson was a recruit, a Harry Heastan recruit. But even Jarrett Patterson was a left tackle in high school. They were all offensive tackles, either not just in high school, but early in their Notre Dame careers. The 2020, the 2017 offensive line, everybody there was a tackle except uh, at Notre Dame, except for Sam Mustafer. Sam Mustafer was a tackle in high school, though. And so he looks for those kind of guys that can play in space, that have shown they can play in space, that have the athleticism to play in space. He also likes guys that, that can bend. I think you you look for that. You definitely likes that. And that means bending is, you know, a lot of guys are bending over at the waist or guys that bend at the knees, guys that can sink their butts. If you can sink your butt, Harry Heastan's going to like you because you can't sink your butt if you don't have flexible knees. And so he looks for that. He looks for guys that have power. He, he likes a power profile, whether you're 250 pounds or 200, 320 pounds, you got to have strong, violent hands. I think that's something Coach Eastan looks for. He looks for guys that have a level of foot quickness, a, a level of agility. They can then coach the footwork aspects of it. And he looks for demeanor. He wants guys that are going to be physical finishers. That's what, I mean, you look at his first class back. I mean, they're all, fi- even Christopher Tarek, who you and I aren't quite as high on as I think the Notre Dame coaches are, that kid is a finisher. That's the one thing you're not going to question about Christopher Tarek. That dude is a finisher. Joe Otting, 260 pounds, finisher, right? They're all that way. And you're seeing the same thing in the 2024 class. Like all those guys are finishers. 
And so that's the demeanor we talk about that Harry Heastan likes. That's why we think he's going to love coaching Billy Shrout. That's why we think he's going to love coaching Ty Chan. Even though he didn't recruit those guys, he's going to love coaching them because they are finishers. Blake Fisher is a finisher. And I think those are the type of – those are the traits he looks for, Ryan. Anything that you would add uh, to that as far as things that we we see we feel that he looks for? No, I mean, nothing to add. I would just say I, I, to harp again on the fact that you want those long body types because there's developmental potential, right? When you have a guy that maybe isn't the tallest or doesn't have incredible length, there is a cap to their development from a physical perspective because there's just less areas to put weight on, right? Like There's just less in that regard. When you look at guys – like the 2023 class, I mean, Sullivan Asher is a massive kid. Well, why is he a massive kid? Because he's got that long frame, right? Like he's a big kid. Joe Otting was is listed at six foot four plus, and he has that frame where you know he's going to develop. There's a lot easier to put weight onto a six four guy with pretty long arms than a six two guy who doesn't have a ton of length. So I think that developmental potential is big for Harry Houston, and that's why I think that he really does value that offensive tackle backgrounds because outside of just the simple fact that usually offensive tackles are better foot quickness, a little more flexible. It's also the simple fact of developmental potential. Those guys could probably add a decent amount of weight and they can become an asset at another position if they don't stick a tackle. Let's go to these next ones here. We got a, a super chat down here from Michael Dunlay. Thank you that very much for that, Michael. I'm going to look and see if there was a question that followed uh, that as well. But um Go go now down here as well, Ryan. We go from Rob Osgood. Rob says, with the guards leaving, do you think the new guys coming in will be more physical? And who do you think will be the guards this year? The, uh, thanks, guys. Y'all are awesome. So we've already addressed who the guards will be. I, I don't yes. think we necessarily addressed the first part. We talked about their skill set and the physicality, Ryan, but we did not discuss necessarily how that compares to last year's group. Right. I, I don't think that Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lug lacked – physicality they 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 were physical they they played hard they played with with a level of toughness i should say yeah. but they weren't really movers and sure. and i don't and, and i think josh lugs is partly due just to all the injuries he had i think just sapped some of that power he had early in his career jared patterson's never been that kind of guy he's never been a mover now i thought this was probably his most effective year when it come came to movement because he was able to use both of his hands to block all the time but even then, Ryan, he's not a guy that's just going to come in in a solo block and just drive it down a guy down over guy. A perfect example: the 2017 USC game. There was a play, the 80 yard touchdown run by Josh Adams. If you go watch that play, Alex Bars comes off and he steps inside because they're in an inside zone, and the tackle he's trying to block is is trying to get to his B gap, and Alex Bars takes him with one hand and throws him into the A gap, and Josh Adams cuts right behind him for an 80 yard touchdown. Jared Patterson's not making a block. Now, there's things Jarrett can do athletically that Alex couldn't do, right? So this isn't necessarily, oh, Alex Barr is way better. It's not the point. The point is Alex could come off at 6'6", 320 pounds, and take a take a, a, a one technique to sign up inside and just drive him to the other side of the line and just open up gaping holes. And one of the things I pointed out about that 2017 offensive line that a lot of people missed is they averaged a, a, over six yards of carry on runs to the right side. Now, six yards of carry per run is really good. It's really good. And they did that on their, quote-unquote, not dominant side, <laughs> right? And I use that loosely because that side was still really good. Tommy Kramer was that way that year as well, Ryan, where he would just kind of come off and just 
just bury people for just to give y'all some context the leading yard per carry team in the country in 2022 was UCLA at six yards a carry Notre Dame in, in 2017 averaged 6.3 yards a carry now they gave up a decent number of sacks that year for some different things but like they were at like 5.9 and a half on runs to the right side on my data that year. And I'm hoping to be able to break down this year's offensive line like that during the offseason at some point in time. But they had movers. Everybody on that line, for the most part, could move. This year's guards weren't movers. They were positional blockers, as you mentioned yes. earlier. Now, will Billy Shrouth and Ty Chan and, you know, if let's say the young guys are the guards, will they be guys that can be movers? Yeah, I think Shrouth can be to the in level he'll be theory. as a senior. You know, yeah. that's a question mark. I think they can. But Andrew Kristoffic is going to be very similar to last year's guys. He'll play hard. He'll play tough. But he's not a mover. At least he hasn't shown that yet. He's a positional blocker that can get a push. But there's a difference between getting a push and moving a guy. Getting a push is just that double team. We just kind of work a guy back. Moving a guy is what we saw when Aaron Banks and Liam Eikenberg were working on combos in 2008-20. They would just come off and just blow guys off the line, right? That's what we saw from Q and Mike McGlinchey in 2017. It's what we saw from Bars and Kramer and Bars and Hainsey, but more so when Bars and Kramer were working combos. They would blow people off the ball. These guards weren't that. Could And Christophic is not that. Could Shrouth be that? Yeah, I think he can be. Especially, but, but where do you put him? If you put him on the right side with, with Blake Fisher, yeah. Okay, they're going to move some people. Sure, no doubt. And and working combos with Zeke Carell, yeah, they're going to move some people. If you're if you're doing it with le- with Joe Ald at left tackle, well, we'll see because I need to see Joe become more because Joe's a positional blocker. Now we started to see him get more movement late in the year, and that's why I think there's another jump there as he gets another year in the weight room. Right, is I think he has the potential to become a mover. He just isn't necessarily that guy yet. Sure, but uh, I think they can be. Yeah, I think yeah. they can be. Now I, I think they definitely can be. I mean, because a couple of the guys that you just mentioned there, like it, it, like in the hypothetical if we say that it is Billy Shrout and Ty Chan for instance right like we say it's the younger guys those guys are physical dudes man like they're going to I mean they might make some mistakes at times they might get over zealous as a blocker at times but they're going to make fast mistakes man and they're going to blow some dudes off the ball there's no doubt about it so I think that they are definitely I mean because you mentioned already but Jared Patterson made his money mostly off of being a really good athlete, you know, getting to a spot. That's awesome. Josh Lug has a offensive tackle background where I think that's just kind of ingrained in him a little bit of like, I'm not, you know, I'm not the the bendiest dude of all time. I don't play with incredible pad level consistently. I am a, I am a offensive offensive guard that is going to be predicated on let's get to a spot. Let's get our body in the right position. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's different styles of how you play. But I think Billy Shrout definitely has more of a power profile than both those guys naturally. And I know Ty Chan has more of a power profile than those guys naturally. So that fact in, yes, I think that you definitely have it. And even if it is Andrew Christophic at one guard and then one of those other two at the other guard, I still think you improved it because at least you have one guy that is more of the let's move the line of scrimmage type of guy than just a positional blocker. So, yeah, I, I agree, Rob. I think that it can definitely – be more physical. Does that mean better? Not necessarily, because that, those are a couple of veterans versus a couple of younger guys, potentially. But it could definitely get more physical, no doubt. 
Here's a question here, Ryan. A couple draft questions for you. Uh, we'll get through these quick. Uh, Christopher Okiki asks, what do you guys think about Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, projected to be a second-round pick? Well, I, I don't think he's going to be a second-round pick. I think that's a little too rich for me, Christopher. Like, I think he's an early day three type of talent because he's done – he is a very intriguing player. So if you watched Bowling Green this year, I believe he wore number 11, if I remember correctly. I think that's correct. And he had like 10 sacks playing defensive end, but he was like – Six three and a half, two hundred and ninety something pounds during the season. It's like that's not what he's going to play, right? So it was a little bit of a funky evaluation. So you saw him yesterday at the Senior Bowl. He's playing completely interior, and you saw a nice foot, some nice foot quickness, nice flexibility as a rusher. There's a power profile that still needs to get improved because he came in at like three hundred three pounds, but you can tell that it's just it's rushed weight a little bit. He's putting a little bit more weight on that frame than what he played at this past year at Bowling Green. So I think it's developmental potential for a guy like a Carl Brooks, and he's a really nice upside as an interior rusher because he has good athletic traits with his ability to have played defensive end, you know, albeit at the Mac level, still at a very, you know, productive rate. So as a day three, early day three type of interior player, who has some athletic traits to work with. I think that he can you can find a niche with Carl Brooks early on in his career, and he has some developmental potential to maybe be a starter down the road because he has some athletic traits to work with, no doubt. Let's go to the next draft question, Ryan. We have one here. I think it's – is it Dorian Weatherspoon is the corner? But he says, what do you guys Devin, think about the – Devin, Devin Weatherspoon. Weatherspoon. What do you guys think about the corner from Illinois projected to be a first-round pick? He's phenomenal, man. I actually liked him uh, before the season, Christopher, and he actually took even a bigger jump than I thought he was going to be because I don't think he is the most incredible athletes, right? Like, I think that he's he, – I know his size profile. He's 5'11 in some chains. He's got 31 in some odd-inch arms. So, like, the, the length's fine. The length's weight's sufficient. The length – the weight's is a little more of the, the talking point. He's only about 185 pounds. You can add weight, right? So – He's got an okay frame, not a great frame. And I think he's a good athlete overall. I think he's going to test pretty well, but not at an elite level. But the thing about Devin Witherspoon is he is an incredibly instinctive football player. Whether he's playing from off coverage or zone, he really understands what's happening in front of him. And he is a physical as heck player, man. Like he'll come up and he'll stick to you. He'll play some press at times. But the instinctual side of Devin Witherspoon is special, like absolutely special. He sees the game at such a high level. He's such a competitive player. I get like Kyle Fuller vibes when he was coming out of Virginia Tech a little bit, although I do like Witherspoon more than when Fuller was coming out. But that same style that like Virginia Tech used to play with Brian, like back, you know, in the in that era of Frank Beamer ball and, and, and Bud Foster, it was like your defensive backs need to tackle. They need to be physical. That's what Devin Witherspoon is. Super, super ferocious competitor, really good eyes, incredible instincts, and a good overall athlete. So I, I'm a big fan of Devin Witherspoon. All right. Next one from Milton Fan 15. What coach has been the best recruiter in the last 10 years if Marcus Freeman, who was second? You know, I mean, to me, I, I think it's hard for me to say Marcus Freeman because he's it's just been such a short period of time. I, I don't know if I could say a coach was. I mean, you've had – I mean, if look, here's the deal. There's no position on the offensive line in the last 10 years that has recruited more highly ranked four-star top guys than Harry Heaston on the offensive line. And and I had this yeah. I had this on the message board, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to actually try to find it while we're talking here, Ryan. But when, when he got rehired – and there was this notion that, well, he he wasn't a good recruiter. And it was just such a silly, petty thing that 
kind of became the mantra from like the the homers and the fanboys and the people that were going to do Brian Kelly's bidding when Harry Heastan left. They just, oh, well, he wasn't a great recruiter. He didn't like to recruit. Blah. I don't care if he liked to recruit or not, but he was really freaking good at it. And the percentage of players he recruited that were like highly ranked players and then the percentage of guys he recruited that became like starters and all that stuff, it's not even close. It's, it's not even close. The only other position that comes close is tight end. But honestly, to a degree, I felt tight end recruiting was more about just Notre Dame than it was like when Scott Booker was getting good tight ends, was it because he was a good tight end, a recruiter? Or is he just, you know, I'd, I'd say Harry Heastan would be my number one because of the guys who were here for a long time, he'd be my number one. Uh, you know who'd be my number two if you're going to look at guys that had to be here at least more than one or two years? Be Mike Dembrock. Mike Dembrock was an outstanding recruiter. He was not just recruiting guys at his position. He was the primary recruiter for T. Shepard, who was a top 100 corner, because back then they did a lot more regional recruiting. And so all the kids from California, he was primarily responsible for. Mike Dembrock was a really good recruiter at Notre Dame. Uh, so and, and he so he did a really nice job. If you just talk about like if you just evaluate it, you know, on a short term basis, I mean, Mike Mike Marcus Freeman's done a phenomenal job uh, in a short yeah. period of time. Now we'll see if he can hold his coaches to the same level of accountability at the position he was great at. But two year run had a linebacker was outstanding, and it was primarily driven by Marcus Freeman. So he, he's in that conversation for guys that are you know the shorter term guys. As somebody mentioned Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese has has, has done well recently. But he's got to have another good year of recruiting before we start putting him in that conversation, in my opinion. Like, it, it, he's all, he's doing well now, but let's pump the brakes on that just yet because Mike Denbrock had a much longer track record of success recruiting. Sure. And Harry Heastan had a much longer track record. Now, what I'll say about Coach Heat, about Coach, um, about Coach Reese is he's trending in the right direction. You know, but some of the early recruiting at quarterback was problematic. You know, we, we you can't deny that. And, you know, I'll say this up until recently, his recruiting as a coordinator has been even better than his recruiting as a as a position coach, as a quarterback's coach. And I think, you know, some of that had to do with Brian Kelly and some other type of things, but a lot of it was just as he was getting older and and getting better. So I you know I look at him and I and I think that he's a guy that is trending in the right direction, but I need to see a lot a, a lot more from him kind of moving over these next year or so before I'm ready to really put him into that same category as a, as a Mike Dembrock who did that for a, a, a longer period of time, in my view. The, the only correct answer is Brian Kelly. Ask every LSU fan out there, Brian, sure. the best recruiter in America, well, there's man. Plenty of, there's still plenty of Brian Kelly stands left in the Notre Dame fan base. They're not as yet. They don't yap as much as they used to, but there's still plenty yeah. of those guys that, that do all that. But yeah, those are those are the guys that I would put. I mean, Tony Alford was a really good running back. I mean, he was a really good recruiter as well. He's in the conversation. Yeah, uh, Mike Mickens has done a an excellent job in the last couple of years. But again, let's see a little bit longer track record with him. But he's in that conversation for me. Mike Elson had some stress where he was a good recruiter, was never a great recruiter, and then he had some big miscues early on. I mean, Keith Gilmore might have had the best one season of recruiting I've seen. Was I mean, he, 2013 D line. Yeah. No, he recruited. No, no he recruited Khalid, uh, Khalid Kareem, Adi oh. Ogandiji, and and had a big hand in Dalen getting Dalen Hayes, That's and then good. also obviously Mike Elson had a big role in getting Julian Aquara, but he had a. I mean, that was pretty good. Pretty good deal. The one was Tuit and and Eshack and Lynch. They weren't all recruited yeah. by the same guy. Gotcha. So that's that was the thing there. Like like Tony Alford had a lot to do with getting Aaron Lynch. 
Um, Mike Denbrock had a big hand in helping get Stefan to it. You know, Bob Diaco had a big hand in getting Eshack along with the D line coach who was Mike Elston was part of it too. But like they, they did more. It was like a lot more regional stuff back then than it was just the position coach at that gotcha. time. So that's why it was, a, it was a little bit different. But yeah, those those are the guys to me that stand out as the top recruiters for Notre Dame over the years. So good questions. Uh, Coleman Smith said, "I'm shocked due to the depth of the of the room that some of the linemen didn't jump in the portal. Do you expect some to jump in after the spring? I, I do expect at least one guy to jump in the portal after the spring. I also think that." I've said this a million times, Notre Dame's different and fans got to stop projecting their own. I wouldn't want to stay and compete with other players who will, you know, jump ship because things are going their way. I, I get that that's happening a lot of places, but you're just not going to see that as much in Notre Dame because a lot of these kids are going to say, dude, I'm a year away from graduating with a degree from Notre Dame. I can hold off for a year. Sure. You know, and, and wait, especially at that position because the offensive line is also unique in that in the NFL, Ryan, it's one of the few positions left in the NFL where experience and age is valued. Yes. You know, where a lot of positions, they want that younger guy. I mean, you want a skill player being as far away from 30 as possible, right? With offensive line, they don't care as much. And so I think for an offensive lineman as well, hey, look, if I got to wait a couple of years and then start two years as a senior and fifth-year senior, fine. That's okay. Because the NFL doesn't look at offensive line – age the way that they look at and matter of fact they do but they look at it completely differently they want a grown man they want to draft a grown man not a guy that they got to give a first round contract to and then take two years to get him physically ready to play they want a guy that's going to come in and and, and be a grown man and help him out right away and that's that's what at least that's how i perceive it to be with that position no and i would say that the the development understanding of playing offensive lines a lot different too right like because to your point you understand that Typically, true freshmen aren't going to be ready to play offensive line on the college level at a high level, right? Like they usually take a little bit of maturation, physical developments. And then I also think you add in the fact that for me, Coleman, like they understand who Harry Heastand is, right? They understand that is there a better developer for how good I could be than Harry Heastand? I mean, he's going to work with me, right? And I mean, it was the, it was a story that Sean Davis said about Charles Jagaso when he went to when he went to the practice and it was like, he's coaching the second team as hard as he's coaching the first team. He knows that they care about him, right? They knows that Kerry, he's standing that staff care about their development. They understand that that offensive linemen develop a little bit slower. They have to from the physical side of things. And they know that they're going to be put in a great position to be successful. So I don't think that you're going to see a big max exodus of the older guys that get passed up because they understand that they're in a pretty good situation to be with Harry. He's pretty good situation. Let's go to the next question here, Ryan. This one's more for me. It says, uh, 99 problems be can't one. Brian, why are you quitting the do? And if it's because of sugar or calories, why not indulge in delicious MDM diet Mountain Dew from time to time? It tastes better anyways. Number one, uh, the notion that diet pop is better for you is so, so provably false. Yes, it may have fewer sugars and calories, but sh- lowering sugar and calories without looking at all the other impact of it does not really it does not make it healthier. It just makes it lower in sugar and calories. Um, I know what it re- is required to be healthy from an eating and drinking standpoint. I have just chosen not to <laughs> follow those type of things. Right. And so uh, it really, for me, it just, I'm getting to that point in that age where it's just like, if I don't make changes now, it's going to get too late. And so that's pretty much where it is because like the reason I like Mountain to do is I really like sweet things. I like the taste. I like sweet taste. It's just what my taste buds prefer. 
and Mountain Dew does that. And so I've got to find other avenues. So lately I've been drinking more tea with honey and yes, putting honey in there adds the sugar, but it's still a much healthier beverage. And my wife is also Ryan. She made me a smoothie. She's like, I just want you to try this. Cause if you look at a lot of things for like good health for men, my age and people trying to lose weight and you'll, you'll see raspberries, you'll see blueberries you'll for, see for all your that. age. What's that? Yeah. 30, 35, something. Like that. There you go. Bonus time coming up. There you go, buddy. Um, <laughs> But yes, people my age in their 30s plus 15, um, you know, you look at it and you say it's raspberries, it's blueberries, it's things like that. Well, I don't like those fruits. I just I wish I did, but I just don't like them. So what she's doing now is she's putting a banana and um, those fruits into a smoothie. And she's not like adding any any um, like added and nothing added to it. Right. It's just that and milk and and she's like, just try this. And I, so I drank it and it's like, yes, I loved it. So she makes me like a couple of those a day, but it's really sweet, but it's natural sugar, which is still not great, but it's much better for you because it balances out, you know, like, so don't, don't eat fruit. Cause that's sugar. I'm like, okay, it's not, you can't not have sugar at all. I mean, you need some sugar. Sugar has a purpose in your body. You just can't have too much sugar. And when you're drinking like pops and stuff, it gives you way too much sugar. And so I'm getting that natural sugar, but it's getting all the benefits of it as well. So I'm trying to do that drink more tea, obviously drink milk and, and obviously have to drink a lot more water uh, just because like I said, I want to want to get healthier and, and want to, you know, live as long a life, uh, not so much long life. Cause I don't care as much about that, but I want to live a healthy life. However much time I have, I want to have a healthy life. Right. You know, so you could be in the best shape of your life and keel over at 40 with a heart attack, especially now. So I just, um, although I'm not worried about that part, but yeah, it just, I just want to, live a good life and a comfortable life. And I'm starting to get to that point where it's like, yeah, things aren't that easy for me anymore. And so it's like, now's the time to do it. So that's why. And it's, it's, there's a lot of other things I've had to cut out and there's a lot more things I still need to cut out, but I'm not doing a diet per se. I'm just trying to change health life lifestyles. So like a diet is something that you do like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to eat this and for six months. Well, I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm just going to change my lifestyle and, you know, still take a partake in things I enjoy, but maybe just cut the portions down. But then there's some things, even though I enjoy it, it's like, this just isn't worth it. So, and my Mountain Dew is one of those things. I've always known that, but it's, it's one thing to know it, Ryan. It's another thing to actually do it. Yes. Well, it's, it's like, you know, oh yeah, don't eat that cake, but then there's cake in the fridge, right? I mean, <laughs> I love cake. <laughs> we were talking this weekend and my family members, we were, at, I was in Ohio visiting my, my family. My grandmother turned 91 this week. She turned 91 yesterday, but we threw a party for her this weekend. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the allergies and things they're allergic to. And somebody was like milk. And I was like, if, if I couldn't eat bread and milk, I'd just be like, you know what? It's time to go home to Jesus. Like I've, I've lived a good life. I've, you know, it's like something just, it's not you worth would, living would, anymore. If I can have bread and milk, you know, you would not like it in this household. Cause my wife is oh, my, my yeah. wife is lactose intolerant and she yeah. has a gluten intolerance as but well. That's so. been that way for a long time though. I would imagine. Right. The, the, the dairy part has the gluten things kind five of new. years maybe right. four or five years yeah like i'm in my 40s right these yeah. things have been a staple for years so i was like ah it's all good i don't need to live i've i've i've, I've had a good run it's time to go home so as there's no doubt about that here we go from ero 5.20 any chance that jim trestle could help coach freeman now that he has stepped down from youngstown state i mean i'm sure he'll be a mentor that's about the only way that you really need jim trestle and that's wasn't going to be that was going to be true whether he was a youngstown state or anywhere else so I'm not, I'm not really worried about, uh, I'm not really worried about that, to be honest with you. So, um, 
he'll still be a mentor to him. I don't think he needs any help beyond that. I mean, you're, I don't think you're going to hire him as like a analyst or anything like that. I just, I don't see that being something Jim Trust will be overly, overly interested in. At the end of the day, you know, he's still got to be in his own man, and he's going to learn lessons from Jim Trestle, But he, he, he can't be. Okay, I'm doing everything Coach Trestle did. Just like I'm just going to do what Coach Holtz did. You, you take the lessons from them, and then you apply them to what you believe in, right? And then and go about it that way. Uh, so we've had a lot of questions about the GA role and Laronitis. I, I honestly don't care who they bring. I just want somebody that's a good got uh, can be, bring value. I don't care if it's a former player like Manti Tail or some guy that we've never heard of who's just a really good up and coming coach. I really don't care. I mean, it's Manti Tail, the next Nick Lazinski. Don't care. I, I just want somebody that can coach and can be involved in recruiting. That's what I care about. I, I, I think I think we I think we focus a little too much on the name part of it, right? Because it's like James Laronitis, great player, great you know asset, all that great stuff. And again, the the recruits that we talk to. Loved James Laurinaitis. I mean, I talked to Peyton Pierce right after his visit, and he was just talking about James Laurinaitis all like nonstop. But guys, I mean, the one thing is because Brian, someone brought this up on the Monday show, was like, "But oh, they're they're big big loss. Such a great recruiter, great coach." And I'm like, I don't know if James Laurinaitis is a great coach. How, what, what, what tells you? What tells you that that's the facts? I, I don't think that you can conclude that from this past season, right? I mean, did the linebackers play so well? that it's very obvious that James Laurinaitis is a great coach. Maybe he will be, but at the end of the day, the co- the linebacker room was not up to par this past season from a full-volume perspective, from a, a full scope, right? So I just want good coaching. I want good coaching, and I want some people to maybe pick up the slack on the recruiting side of things. That is their job. So, uh, we got another one here from Logan Thayer. It says, what went wrong this year with the red zone defense? Was it mostly scheme, play calling, execution, talent, or a combination? I'll just say this, Ryan, and I'll let you dive into it a little bit more specifically. Sure. When something like that is happening, it's never just one. When you're that bad in the red zone, it's never just coaching. It's never just talent. It's a lot of things. But I'll allow you um, to take a first crack at it. But I'll yeah. say, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very frustrating thing. I, I sometimes that type of stuff, honestly, is very. I'm trying to think of the best word for this. Sometimes there is a little bit of of luck and misfortune that happens to that type of stuff, right? Because it's such bang bang down there in the red zone. It is, but we talked about how porous the run defense was. I mean, porous the red zone defense was, and I think that some parts of it are. You know, you needed to be better playing in condensed spaces, and I think that you lost some of your ability to be incredibly stout against the run at times, right? I think that teams ran the ball a little too well in that regard. I think that there were, there's just, there was a lot of maturation that needs to happen this offseason from a communication perspective, from a consistent tackling perspective. There were just some easy faults to look at and say, why was the defense not as good as maybe it should have been? I mean, one, is that there is a lack of communication across the board. I don't think that that's just one person's fault. I don't think that that's uh, just one coach's fault. I think that there was an inconsistency from just a communication process perspective. And I think that there were some areas of your game, my, mainly for me, the ability to run the football, that defense just did not counteract well enough. So there's there's a lot of different things that play into that. And some of that stuff is honestly just bad luck or mis- misfortune. But regardless, tackling needs to be better, needs to be better and consistent in the run fits. They need to get off the field in those pre, uh, in those premier uh, premier moments. Like that's what coaches and players 
are judged off of being your best in the high-pressure situations, and they weren't good enough in that regard. I didn't think they always used their corners well in the red zone either, Ryan. It was weird. As far as? Just how they – like so, for example, the play where Benjamin Morrison got beat for the touchdown against Syracuse. Yes. The kid plays press man all game, and then you're going to back him off. Play off, yeah. At yeah. the 15-yard line. Like, it yeah. just didn't make any sense. Like, play him inside, force the outside go routes, and then bring your safeties down in the box. So that was one of the issues, too. But I think one one key that you hit on is they're not a very good run defense. I mean, they're, they're not a bad run defense, but they're not a very good run defense. And no. what you, so teams could kind of move the ball, move the chains. I think the I think the linebacker fits against the run and their lack of discipline in the pass game also created problems that allowed teams to move the chains in that regard as well. So, but I really think it came down to their run defense. I yep. think that was a big part of it. Is their run thing. defense was a big problem. That was part scheme and part player because it, you start getting these teams inside the ten especially, and then they'd go big and Notre Dame doesn't have a big package to counter, and that would hurt them. And yep. you know they they'd shoot gaps and they, there's a lot of times they made teams get to fourth down. And then they just end up punching it in. So it's not like they were just a sieve. They, you know, but it's just there was a lot of things that just they would do that were kind of concerning to me that I just didn't understand. And I just felt like um, I feel like when you look at it, it's just it was a lot of those different things. There was like some of the the, the red zone stuff they did just didn't seem great. And and honestly, it didn't seem like the players had a firm grasp of what they were trying to do in the red zone. To be honest, I think there was miscommunication a lot. Very to be honest, poor preparation, like, very poor yeah. preparation when it came to the red zone defense. Because you're not that bad that long, and it's not bad luck, yeah. right? Now, here's where the defense was good: they didn't lo- allow a lot of red zone opportunities, but they were like this is this is the thing that was bad about it, Ryan. And it's not even like they were they were ranked low because they just happened to play a lot of really good field goal kickers this year. They were bad in red zone in every component red zone overall and then also red zone touchdown percentage they ranked second they ranked last in the country 79.4 percent of notre dame's red zone trips 34 red zone trips ended in touchdowns right so you can sit there and say hey look they they were 10th in the nation and fewest red zone opportunities allowed okay great but here's the problem they were 58th in touchdowns allowed when you're 58th in touchdowns allowed, but you're 10th in red zone opportunities, you have a horrible run de- red zone defense. Red, horrible red zone defense. Yep. And that's a that's a big problem, a very, very big problem. And I just really feel like they just were largely unprepared in the red zone. And you say, well, you know, they did such a great job limiting them. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if once they get in there, they're just guaranteed to score a touchdown, basically. Sure. Right? Like, that's just, you know, that's not going to be effective. It's not going to be effective. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. We got one from D. Um, Mackick two uh, says, "How much does signing a guy like Gearby Lambert help with the offensive tackle position moving forward? How many additional offensive tackles do we need in this 2024 class? Assuming we get Lambert, I don't, I, you know, I think they're in a good place with Lambert, Ryan. But it's, I'm not ready to assume they're going to get him just yet. Sure, uh, but uh, the people he's referring to, Gearby Lambert, the 2024 offensive tackle from Massachusetts. He's Catholic from the same high school as Bubakar Traore. So, yes. Ryan, my view is they need at least two pure tackles in this class. Okay. And right now they have zero. Yep. So even if they get Gearby Lambert, he's a pure offensive tackle, but they need at least one more pure tackle in the class. I, and I, I, that's yeah. the key. And, and I, I would, I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go with the question is that 
Does it? Does Gary Hillenberg help your offensive tackle room in the future? Absolutely. Very talented. 6'7", 280-something pounds out of Catholic Memorial. He's a really talented football player. But the numbers dictate that whether you think Caleb Brewer is that guy or you think another offensive tackle, Styles Prescott, whoever you end up thinking the other offensive tackle is, you need at least two in this class. You do. You need those body types. Because the fact of the matter is, is not only is your depth at the position a little bit of a question mark as far as the pure tackle conversation, it's also, I mean, Brian, you can't just sign one offensive tackle and just assume that guy's going to work out. You know, that guy's he's going to be a dude. I mean, yeah, could Gerby Lambert be a dude? I think so. But there's also a chance that he doesn't develop. So you need to get another guy as well just in case that he doesn't develop and so that you have a better margin for error to figure out the conversation. Right. So that's what here's, we're Here's why one knock, and this is this is true of, of he stands first class, and it was true of too many of, of Jeff Quinn's classes. You yep. need you need two pure tackles in every class, every single class, because here's the deal. A pure tackle can play anywhere. Yep. A pure guard cannot. Just That's just the facts. And so you, you give me five pure tackles, and I can put a five-man group together. Give me five pure center guard players. I can't put a five-man group together that's going to be as good. That's just the reality. That's just fact. Because it's easier for a tackle type to transition inside than it is for, for a six-foot-two short-armed guard to transition a tackle. That's right. just the reality of it. Yep. So they should sign two pure tackles in every year. Because here's the thing. A pure tackle doesn't just have to play tackle. Sure. That's the thing. Like Caleb, so, like Caleb Brewer is a guy we've talked a lot about, right? Like I, th- I think that you agree that Caleb Brewer could play offensive tackle, but he could also be a really good guard, right? right? Like there's no right. doubt about it. Like Charles Jagasol, yeah. I think Charles Jagasol could be a top ten NFL draft pick at guard or tackle. It just depends on where he's going to figure out, figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Mark E. Stewart with a question here: What would be considered realistic production from the tight end position? Can we come close to Michael Myers' production across a couple of guys? I hope not. Honestly, that's going to sound bad, Mark, but I don't want the tight end position to be that dominant from a production standpoint because it tells me that they're still building around it, even though they don't have a Michael Mayer type. Right. For me, I want to see the the production be around, I'd say, fifty catches to six and, and around six hundred yards. You know, forty five to sixty catches around six hundred yards is kind of where I would want it to be this year, in my opinion. Yep. You know, you you look at this past year, Ryan, and it was, I mean, it was, let me, let me, let me pull it up here real quick. So you had Mayer had his 67, plus you had three catches from Bauman, that's 70. So you had 74 catches this year from the tight end position. Right. And your yards were way over that. So you had 809 for Mayer. You had, let's see here, you had 44 for Bauman, 39 for uh, Evans, and then 11 for Holden Stace. You had 903 yards this year at those positions. And then you had uh, 10 touchdowns among that group. If you give me 50 catches for 600 yards, that's a really good year at tight end. But that means 30 plus catches, 300 more yards were dispersed somewhere else. And then you'll have the additional yards that come from just throwing the ball more and throwing the ball more effectively. I think it's kind of how I see that, Ryan. So I think, I think that's a good baseline for me. Now, if it's fewer catches and more yards, you know, I could see that too, where it's like maybe it's 40 catches for 650 yards because there's more, maybe some more big plays because of different body types. Well, that could be a part of it too. But that's all that, but that means you're, you're doing that because you're really good at other places. No doubt. No doubt. And I think that supplements a little bit of that production. I mean, I think that there is a baseline that you need in that tight end room. But I mean, at the end of the day, 
Michael Mayer was one of the best to ever do it at your school, right? He's arguably the best tight end to ever play at Notre Dame. You shouldn't expect that production to just be easily, easily, you know, just sustained. Like it's just not sustainable in my opinion. You're, but some of the wide receivers picking up a little bit of that production, right? Some of the running backs may be helping to solve some of those issues or some of that lack of production comparative to what you were last year. I don't think it has to look the same in order for it to be explosive and in order for it to be productive. Like there's other ways to figure it out. And I think Notre Dame has answers. They just need to show that they can take advantage of those answers. That's right. Let's go to the next one from David Lowe. Is the 24 class trending better or worse than 23? I have been seeing a lot of three-star or unranked offers for 2024 lately. Is that normal? I'm still new to the recruiting. David, if you're new to recruiting, for the love of God, buddy, please listen to me. I love you, and I love that you keep taking it from me. I, I, I just please listen to me. If you're new to recruiting, stop obsessing over stars. When Keon Keeley first committed Notre Dame, he was a three-star. When Kyle Hamilton first committed Notre Dame, he was a three-star. I could do this for five minutes. When Tyler Eifert signed with Notre Dame, he was a three-star. Stop obsessing over stars, okay? Especially now because the ranking system has gotten more and more and more flawed, number one. Number two, not every kid is being offered to be a star. Every team needs role players. Every team needs depth. Every team needs character guys. Dabo Sweeney showed that, and he did two championships recruiting those kind of guys. By the way, when he signed Isaiah Simmons, three-star. When Travis Etienne committed to Clemson, three-star. Just want to point that out. So, number one, stop obsessing over stars. Stars don't define players. If you're mad that Harry Heastan didn't recruit a, a, an offensive lineman from Indiana because he's ranked high, <laughs> then then maybe, maybe it kind of go, shows that Maybe he's not as good as the ranking services think he is because Harry Heastan has a much longer track record of being really good at a very high success rate. For, I mean, look, Harry Heastan's last full recruiting class probably is going to have all four of them in the NFL next year. Right? I mean, think about that. So, you know, it's pretty good success rate. Three of his 2014 linemen are in the NFL. And Alex Bars would be a much better NFL player today if it wasn't for that just absolutely devastating knee injury he had his last year at Notre Dame. So just stop obsessing over rankings. Understand that not every kid that's being offered is because they're going to take him tomorrow. It's about building your board. yeah, And it's about getting involved with kids and, and expanding your list. Sometimes you offer kids to coerce a kid who's on the verge of committing to, let's get this thing done. Because until you're committed, we're going to, we're going to keep being over here. We're going to keep offering guys, right? So there have been some three-star kids that they have offered recently, Ryan, that I think, like Leonard Moore, kid from Texas. I don't give a crap what he's ranked. I don't care. I look at that kid's film, and I'm telling you, that kid's a dude. That's a dude. Benjamin Morrison, when he committed to no, – now, he ended up being a consensus four-star recruit, but I'm going to – David, if you're new to recruiting, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you don't know this. When he committed to Notre Dame, Benjamin Morrison was still a three-star. When he signed with Notre Dame, the number of recruiting services of all the major services that had him as a four-star recruit was zero. Zero. None of them thought he was a top 300 player. None of them. Right? We thought he was. Notre Dame thought he was. Nick Saban thought he was. Jimmy Lake thought he was. So I'm begging you, dude. 
we can talk about stars and we can get into the you know success rate of five star. That's all fine and dandy. We can have that conversation. I'm not saying that there isn't some merit to start the star ranking. We use it in our rankings. So clearly it's not a useless system. But just stop assuming, stop here's here, stop leading with stars. Stop having stars being the first thing that you look at. Should be one of the last things you look at. Yep. When you see the Nerd is offered a kid, first thing you do is you go look at his offer list because it's easy to look at. Second thing you do, David, is you look at the film. And then the last thing you do just for S's and giggles is to look at his ranking. That's it. And a better thing would be to do is ask us because we'll tell you, look, there's kids. Carson Hobbs, a perfect example, Ryan. You and I have said, hey, look, Notre Dame likes him a lot, but we're not in love with him. Right. We're just not. You know, so if we don't think a kid's a dude, we're not we're not going to say, oh, all 25 kids at Notre Dame signed last year are dudes. They're going to win three national championships next year. That's not us, no. right? When Ben when they committed, when Ben Minich committed to Notre Dame, I was like, oh, I don't know about this one. I don't know right. about this one. But look what happened. He was a three-star when he committed, but he wasn't a three-star when he signed, right? And I have Ohio State people telling me, I watched him play this year, and he was the best dude on the field. Keep in mind, Ohio State is a four-star top 100 recruit playing safety right beside him, right? So uh, we're going to shoot you straight. And if we don't think a guy can play, we're going to tell you we don't think he can play at that level. We said it about Ben Minich. We said it about – I said it about a Don Schuler. You liked the Don Schuler a lot more than I did when he first signed, when they first committed to him. I was like, ah, he's a good high school player, but I just got to see a little bit more. And then, of course, he, he blew up. Yeah. So there have been – and when they got Brendan Vernon – I, I like Brendan Vernon a lot. I was like, ah, he's not a five-star top 10 guy. I'm sorry. He's not. And, you know, so now his ranking has gone too far in the other direction, in my opinion. You know, so look, we're going to shoot you straight, man. I, I promise you. We're going to be wrong. Everybody's yeah. wrong. But we're going to shoot you straight. And and the rank, the, like the person that is now in charge of doing rankings for 247, mm-mm, he ain't it. He ain't it. It's a joke. <laughs> So I would just tell you, just stop obsessing over stars because some of these three-star unranked kids that they've offered are not three-star unranked kids from a talent standpoint. They're just not. Well, I, I mean, I, Brian, I always look to the DeMello De Jones. He's always the guy I yeah. look back to. So I'm just like, Notre Dame offered him, and everyone at first is just like, the kid doesn't have a single star, not one. There was He was literally unranked on every single platform. And then you look at the offer list, you're like, but Alabama's offered him. George has offered him. Ohio State's offered him. Every right. school is basically offered. He's got like 30-something offers, and they're right. all like high-level programs. Right. And then you watch the film, you're like, yeah, that's that's a pretty good football player, man. It's pretty good. Caleb Brewer's another one. I had somebody on this channel like three weeks ago that was like, oh, we can't, we can't, we can't sign Caleb Brewer. He's not good. He's a three-star recruit. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> and then I, right. I literally said it was on a recruiting show, Brian. And I was like, tell me. What about his game you don't like? Right. Crickets. Oh, he's only a three-star. Oh, okay. okay. Tell me something about his game you don't like. The next response, uh, he's an interior offensive lineman. I was like, maybe, but what's that based on? It's like, oh, that's so Quentin listed. Nelson. Yeah. Well, no, but then they're like, oh, well, Caleb Brewer's listed as an off- interior offensive lineman on a recruiting platform. I'm like, so still nothing that you watched of but he him. he didn't play that. He played freaking tight end. <laughs> I know. It's just so funny. It's just so funny. <sighs> I love it. I love it. Well, when Joe Wolf signed, right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. thinks I, you know, like I, I was not a Jeff Quinn supporter by any imagination, but you know what I, I praise him like crazy for when they got a commitment from Joe Walt. Cause you could see the film like, dude, if this kid can add weight, this kid's going to be a dude. 
because yes. he is long, athletic, and he can move, and he's got hands. And then you look at the DNA, and that's before I even knew who his dad was, right? And so, um, you know, that's just a that's just the reality. If somebody asked me if I see Leonard Moore as a five star talent, no, I don't see him as a five star guy. No, he's like We're a top one hundred to one twenty guy for me. Yeah. But now he's got a four and a half star upside. No doubt. But he, even right now, I don't see him as a five-star guy. Uh, Brandon Hill was another one that when he committed was a three-star guy by everybody but ESPN. ESPN is the only guy that had Brandon Hillman. Now, like two of them have him in the top 150. Yes. Right? On three and right. You know, so so did he all of a sudden get better because his ranking improved? Or did the rankings finally catch up to how good he always was? Right. That's the that's. The I, I mean, there was, there was a platform that ended up with, like, Micah Bell as the 80th player in the state of Texas right. this past cycle. Like, <laughs> he was in the 90s, dude, by, at the end of it by on three. In the 90s. So bad. So, bad. so would y'all be excited about getting Peyton Pierce, right? Well, some scouts, some people rank him as the top 100 guy. On three has him ranked as, a, like, in the 60s in the state of Texas. Yeah. Well, who am I supposed to believe? Notre Dame and Ohio State and teams like that? Or – the dude doing rankings and on three that doesn't think Dante Moore is one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the class that thinks Brandon Ennis is one of the, is not even the, one of the 90 best players in the country. That's wild. That man. thinks there's 132 <laughs> players in the country better than Jason Moore. I mean, I could do this all day and none of those guys are Notre Dame guys just yep. to prove my point. Cause here's the thing I will say to Notre Dame fans. If you think that a, a, a service is biased you got to come to me with more than just what they've done to Notre Dame guys for me to really buy that there's a genuine bias there, right? And that's my point. Now, do I think some services have Notre Dame as a team that they're going to hate on? Yes, because there's business reasons to do so. Because every Notre Dame fan gets fired up, goes and reads the article, then puts it on their message board, and then everybody else clicks on the article, and Notre Dame fans get pissed off, and then they engage with you on social media, and they engage with you on your Twitter page, or they engage with you on your, your, your YouTube show. And you know what all that engagement does? Make some money. That's So there's reasons for it, right? So to me, it's just kind of stop focusing on stars and just – don't look at other things. Watch the film, right? Watch, look at his offer list. Offer list. All is a of big that one. stuff should it's be taken one. into account. None of those things should trump another thing. They should all be part of your evaluation. And if I thought stars were utterly useless, I wouldn't use them in my ranking. They're a good tool to kind of tell people where you think a guy is and where you think a guy can be. Sure. But they they should not be the trump card that so many people view them to be. That's my issue with it. To be honest with you. And also look at positions because there's some positions where the recruiting services are all notoriously bad. Offensive line is a great example, right? And and then there's other positions where like, yeah, they, they tend to be pretty good at that. You know I mean? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at Deuce Robinson and be like, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, like, <laughs> okay. it's a little bit harder to look at Tyler Eifert and be like, okay, he's only 205 pounds now, but the frame is this, this, that, and the other thing. And then all of a sudden you think it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at Michael Mayer and say, that guy's going to be a dude. It takes a little bit more evaluation skill to look at Tommy Tremble and view him as a four-star guy like we did and have him ranked high when nobody else does, right? And so that's that's kind of my my, my thing. So uh, back to his original question, the first part of his question. Is Notre Dame yes. trending in a better or worse place? It's definitely better right now, David, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be a better class. And here's here's why. You have to remember at this time last year, they didn't have their whole staff in place yet. Like Al Golden wasn't on the staff yet. Harry was – Harry Heastan was hired, what, in like late January? 
I think at this point in time last year, Notre Dame wasn't really in the conversation with like they were on Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James, but they hadn't really made their move yet with those two guys. So it's just it's it's kind of it's a little bit of an apples to oranges conversation, David, to me, because um, they're they're way ahead from an engagement standpoint, but there's not as much buzz with Notre Dame right now because of the fact that Marcus Freeman's not new anymore. Yeah. And there's the, the nine and four season. So I don't think you can dismiss that nine and four didn't have some level of impact. I don't think it was a huge impact, but there's some level of impact when it comes to the buzz. There's a lot of buzz about Marcus Freeman last year because he had just gotten hired at Notre Dame. So I think that they are going to have to work really hard to close on this class. But the good news is, is as of right now, February 1st, I think they're ahead of where they were last year in a lot of ways. And here's another area that's going to help them a ton. They've got a big-time five-star quarterback that's already in the class, and that's going to help. Yep. When it's all said and done, that's going to have a big impact. And if they can stop messing around and close out on Justin Scott here over the next couple months, that's going to help too. Uh, but there's there's still work to be done there on that one for sure. Yeah. So that's my to, to your original question. I think they're ahead of where they were last year, but it's different. It, it's just different. The landscape is different. The buzz is different. And and so and here's the other thing too is Notre Dame is being targeted for negative recruiting a lot more now than they did a year ago at this time because of there's a lot of fear that dude we cannot let this dude take that step because if if Freeman goes out there and and wins it, life's gonna suck for us in some yes. in, in a lot of ways it is I'm I'm just that's not me guessing I'm telling you that's a fact and I've heard that from coaches i've heard that from parents i've heard that from analysts i'm telling from other coaches have said dude this guy makes you nervous because they also know he's a genuinely good dude kids like him and if if you can't negatively recruit against their lack of success on the field in the nfl if you if you take that away from these coaches they're effed for a lot of these kids and including keon keely if if Marcus Freeman had a track record of success and developing first round draft picks, a defensive line, there's no doubt in my mind Keon Kelly's Notre Dame. He did not leave just because he got you know NIL or whatever the case may be. Keon's focus was on, I want to do this, and that school gives me the best chance to do that. And that's really what it came down to. You take that away, and now that's negated. He's a Notre Dame. Different conversation. Yep. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, here we go. We got some more here. Let's get through here, Ryan. Brian Shaw says, uh, Brian, did you recognize technical improvement from the wide receiver core that shows a good foundation of development for Stucky? 
to ultimately get production out of the guys. Absolutely, Brian. I did. Yep. Yeah, Brian. Brian Shaw. I, I mean, look, not from everyone. I didn't see it a ton of it from Lorenzo Styles, but everybody else I did. I yep. think I think that uh, Braden Lindsay got a lot better, and not just better from last year, this year, but better from week one to week twelve and week thirteen. Yes. Uh, Dion got better. Tobias got better. Jaden uh, Thomas, Thomas got I, a ton better. At the end of the year, man, he was breaking off some routes. So you're like, oh, yeah. okay, sir. Yeah. All right. Where he didn't know how to get off the line basically early in the year. I mean, he was just exactly. like little technical things. He was just doing sloppy. By yes. the end of the year, he was sharp. Just couldn't yep. find that spot in the zone. Was getting on, you know, knew how to stack he, he was, up the He was scene. their best route runner at the end of the year. I mean, oh, pretty no substantially. Question. So. No question. And that was not true the first three games of the year. I can promise you that. Yep. So, yes. Now, again, that also shows that the players are buying into it. That's, I mean, players have a role in that, but absolutely. Now, the question, Brian, that we have now is can he take it to that next level? Yep. He got them to – they're now – football 101 for them is now in a good place, right? It's now in a good place. Um, now it's t- kind of taking that next level. That's going to be the key. That's going to be the key, Brian. Yep. So very, very good question. And here's another one kind of along – somewhat along the same lines, and that is from Brian Shaw. He says, uh, Rico Flores is able to get faster. Brian, I'll let you answer this one. Yep. Rico Flores is able to get uh, faster and a bit more explosive before his injury. Do you see Bayless unlocking another level? Feels he's one of, if not the best route running freshman receivers. I definitely agree with that last part. He's got yes. very good route running skills. Yeah. I mean, if he's not the best route runner in the freshman class, he's number two. I mean, pretty clear one, right? So he's a very. Well, that was a, our debate, right, Ryan, yeah. last week was it was yep. between Rico and Jaden. And yes. you can make a case for either, but they're both two of the best in the country at it. Yeah, and Rico's a very nuanced player. He's very advanced for his age. There's no doubt. And I mean, Brian, yet when you look at the junior film comparative to what a senior film was before he injured his foot, he looked a lot, a ton more explosive, in my opinion. Like he looked a lot twitchier of an athlete. I thought he was a good athlete off a junior film. I thought he was a really good athlete based upon his senior film. Like he took a massive step forward. And yes, with Matt Bayless, though, I mean, you're gonna he's gonna add more size to his frame, which is gonna allow him to be more explosive in and out of breaks. His body's gonna really start to fill out. He's gonna be he's gonna become a more sudden and explosive athlete. I I think so. I, I think that Rico, while Rico may not have the highest upside of the wide receivers in the 2023 class, if you start to get more explosiveness on him on top of the nuance he has to his game, he's gonna be a really successful pass catcher at the next level. He's just got an advanced feel to him as a player. I'll make a statement, Ryan. You can agree yep. or disagree with it. Okay. Rico Flores probably has the lowest floor, or excuse me, the lowest ceiling Chilling. of the four receivers signed. He has yes. a very close second. He's a very close second when it comes to highest floor of the 2023 with, class. With Great House. At, at wide receiver. With Great yep. House being number one. And the yep. only difference is size. Yes. I mean, Great House has got 20. 25 pounds on him and he's just gonna be able to physically do things that Rico can't do. But outside sure. of that, I think his, cause he's got, here's the thing too, is not just right, right. He's got really, really good ball skills. Yes. Very strong hands, very good ball skills. So yes, I, I think Rico could, could be a, a player. And, he he, and he's player. got some swagger to him too, man, which you need at that position, which I think is an underrated aspect of Rico is that he's a very confident kid, man, which matters. It very much matters at the next level. 
Got some more questions here. Uh, here's an interesting. Oh, actually, you know what? I want to talk about that one last. So, Nathan, we're going to okay. get to your one. I want to give. We're going to kind of end it on that one. Uh, Archer four five two is Notre Dame done recruiting Brandon Davis Swain after the decommitment? Or are they still pushing for him? Also, what is the best D line class for two thousand twenty four? Best case D line class for two thousand twenty four. Yes. Number one, they are done recruiting Brandon Davis Swain. Yeah. Brian, easy. Justin Scott, yes. Owen Wafel. And by the way, yep. Owen Wafel's grade for me skyrocketed after I broke down his junior film, by the way. Good football uh, player. And then we got some uh, intel on the, we put on the board about his measurements when he went, came to Notre Dame the other day. Uh, very long arms, and he was over 290, which is yep. huge. And I saw him that day, that weekend, because he was we were there taking pictures for the junior day. No bad and weight on him either, none. man. He's just a, he's a weight room none. warrior. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's a yeah. big, b- broad shoulders, just a big kid. I thought he was like 270, 275, used to over 290. Yeah. And and so now part of that seeing him was like he had a flannel shirt on. So it was really hard, kind of hard to tell just, just how much that was, you know, 275 versus 290, but he he was there. Uh, so it's those two, Justin Scott on Wafel. Yeah. You know, to me, I think after that, it's – I don't know if – I don't know if I'm in a position yet, Ryan, where I, I have necessarily a best case scenario. I mean, if we're talking best case scenario, we're going to go, okay, Elijah rushing, <laughs> you know, like guys like that. But right now sure. I don't know how realistic those guys are, but to me, I'll say, give me a, 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 a pure nose TJ, which I've to me is TJ Lindsay or um, uh, 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 David Palapat. Paula Pale, I think it's how you say his name, right? Give me one of those. And then after that, you got to find some edge rushers. And right now, that's a little bit of my concern, Ryan, is I don't know who the who that would be. I don't know what pure edge guys that they're on right now that they have a shot at. Like, you know, the guys that I love that would be like best case, it would be like Jay Sean Ross, it would be Elijah Rushing, it'd be, you know, Ernest uh Willer, it would be guys like that. And right now, Notre Dame's not really a, a player for those those guys. So I don't really know that I have a dream class that's a realistic class right now. You know, I mean, I think you could put like Jacob Smith in there. I I know, Ryan, you like him a a lot more than I do. Yeah. I just don't know if if I'm necessarily in a position where I want to take both of them right now. And that's a little bit more of my concern. I just got to watch. I got to watch a little bit more of Jared's film. And I like Jacob, but I don't view him as like a top 50 guy. He's more of a top. 100 to 125 ish guy for me, Ryan. Just a good okay. player. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, I guess part of it too is I'm just still bummed about how quickly they faded with like rushing and Ross and those kind of guys is a little bit kind of where I'm at on that. What's what's your what's your stance on that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean it's it's been a question that's been asked a ton. I've kind of just been calculating as like what positions they need to hit in the class because there's still some uncertainty with the players. But I think you hit on a bunch of guys, obviously, right? Like Jacob and Jared Smith. TJ Lindsay's a very interesting football player that I know that the staff likes. You know, there's a couple of newer defensive linemen that have come into the fold. You mentioned Davey Pelle Pelle. I mean, there's Logan Thomas out of Texas. That's an interesting player to kind of keep an eye on. But I would say right now you have you have the interior player at Owen Wafel, a guy that honestly he can play a little bit of strong side end, but he's a three tech nose tackle at the next mm-hmm. level. You need Justin Scott in that class on the interior. There's no doubt about that. I think you need two defensive ends in this class, so a, vi- a true Viper, and then in a strong side that maybe can play a little bit of another Which position. Could potentially be like a Bryce Young type. Yes, maybe exactly. 
And yeah. then that if you are able to push it to five, which is what we think it could happen, like four to five, if they push the five, I think that that's more like a versatile piece a little bit, in my opinion, right? It's like maybe it's a, another interior guy that could play multiple spots on the interior. Maybe it's a big end that could eventually work inside to another interior player. Like I think that those that's a versatile piece as number five for me in that class. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how it pans out because it's n- yep. there's not yeah I, I don't feel great about where it is right now. Uh, we got one from Coleman Smith. He says, "I know you're you're totally not high on Eli Holstein. He is correct. I think Eli Holstein is closer to a three star than a five star. Uh, however, what do you think about Dylan Lonergan? Lonergan? He's the other quarterback they signed. Here's the thing. Let's assume for a second that he's going to stick with football, just for sake of argument." Because that's my biggest issue with him is does he stick with football? He has to me one of the probably he's one of the ten most talented quarterbacks in this class, and for for that in some years that may not be a, a the compliment that it is in the twenty three class. If you're in the top ten in the twenty three class, you're a dude because you're yep. a top hundred player. It, you know he's raw. He's a bit of a gunslinger right now more than he is a pure quarterback. Ryan, he's but, a baseball player yeah. that also happens to be a football player. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But man, the physical tools. I mean, he's got a he's got a really quick release. Although it's a it can be a tad long at times, but it's really quick. He flicks the ball with ease. Like you're like that didn't look like it. Like it was kind of effortless. And like how you know, like, oh, that was a 25 yard route that he hit that thing on a line. He's yeah. athletic. He's yeah, mobile. Smooth. smooth right player. now, he he yeah. doesn't go past the second read. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of those things where he's really raw. But man, from just a pure talent standpoint, that kid has got big time tools, in my opinion. Big time Agreed. tools. Agreed. I just know he's going to stick to football enough. That's the only problem. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see on that one. He's, Ryan. he's really good at baseball, man. He's oh, a yeah. really good baseball. Player. But he's, I mean, that's what he's got to think about. Like, do you want to be a potential big time baseball player or do you want to be a potential first round NFL draft pick a quarterback? Because I think he has that type of tools. And then going to a place like Bama, it's only going to you know, increase his profile. Because, look, yes. if he shows up at Bama next year, he shows up. This is going to sound crazy to some of y'all, but I'm telling you right now, he's going to show up at Alabama as the most talented quarterback on the roster, and it's not close. Just physically talented. Now, Ty Simpson is the opposite of Dylan Lonergan because he's a coach's kid that knows the game. I mean, that kid is yeah. smart. That kid processes, reads – He's just not a super physical talent. He's a little on the small side. He's got a good arm, but not a great arm. He's a good athlete, but not he's 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 Ian Book. He's a smarter version of Ian Book, is what Ty Simpson is, which is a compliment because Ian Book's lack of ability to process reads and process information was my big knock on him. Ty Simpson reminds me a lot of Ian Book, but just smarter and and a coach's kid. So good player, good college player, but not an elite talent. This kid shows up as your most physically gifted player on the roster. Just, again, take the quarterback traits away, just physical tools. And I would say that's true if Bryce Young was still on the team. Just physical tools, because he's got every bit the arm strength, but he's got a much better body, much better size. But what makes Bryce Young special is not that. It's up what's in here and what's in here, along with a really live arm. So that kid has got, Big time tools in my opinion. Whip. Ryan. He's got a whip, man. He's got a whip, and he is smooth as all heck, too. <laughs> He's yes. a really smooth customer. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Lonergan. 
Yes. 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 Very he is smooth. He is absolutely. He he's like absolutely. the perfect spread quarterback in today's era, man. Like That's he's right. got he's got that whip. He can move a little bit. You know. Yeah. There's there's a quick twitch athleticism to him. You know where he can move in the pocket. Like there's a lot. He's got the about. power arm to be a drop to be a a pro style quarterback as well, Ryan. I mean that's that's a thing. Now that would take a little bit more time because that would take a lot more reading and processing. Yep. A pro style quarterback has a lot more reads to make pre and post snap, and that would take some time. But the physical tools are there. I mean, that's I'd even argue he's five top five just God given physical talent. It's just some of the other stuff is. You know, he's he's a lot further behind some of those other guys in those areas, right? That's fair. Uh, his ceiling is much higher than Kenny Minchie's, but Kenny Minchie's floor is significantly higher than Dylan Lonergan's at this point in time, in my view. Agree. Agree. All right, Ryan. So let's wrap it up with this question. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nathan Hill says, "What were your guys' reaction to Tom Brady officially retiring?" I mean, can I start the conversation off with this? I actually do think this is a legit Agreed. one this time. That's I the do. first thing that was my reaction. When you yeah. when you saw the video, Ryan, it's like, yeah, he's done. Yeah, you could just see it in his face. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Last year it was it felt rushed. It felt like that, like obviously the news had gotten out before he even wanted it to get out. Right. And it just it was really weird last year. It was a yeah. weird vibe. And I don't it think was, he was ready. I don't think he was exactly. ready to retire. Yeah. It did it did not surprise me slightly last year that he came back and played after that announcement. I was like, okay, that makes sense. I know everyone's gonna joke about it. I've seen it on Twitter. My wife even texted me about it. I, I do think Tom Brady's done. I think he's done. I'm surprised that he is done because I thought he would come back on, you know, in a situation and try to come out on top type of thing, right? But I think when you know, you know. And I think the last year, especially with kind of the alienation of his family as well i know we talked a lot about it people have been talking about obviously about the separation with his wife and you know all that type of stuff as well i think it took a lot out on him this year i think it did so i think tom's done i think that you know he's he's got a lot working for him off the field he's going to be a commentator and do all that type of stuff an analyst whatever he feels like doing there was that big deal that was kind of put out to him by I forget if it was like espn or wherever it was but I, I do think he's done. I, I think that this was how he wanted to go out. And I think when you know, you know. And I think Tom Brady knows at this point. I was kind of sad, honestly. Uh, I really wished he would have walked away after the Super Bowl. Yeah, would have been more fitting for him. It would have. I mean, you, 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 you have him go out. It's just kind of like when you'd watch. There's like I remember watching Sugar Ray Leonard late in his career, and you're just like, dude. Like yeah. watching Evander Holyfield the last few years of his career, like buddy, my man, come just on, hang bro. it up, man. Yeah, just hang right, it up. like just hang it up, man. And and because because Brian, it's unfortunate, but like the last image we have of a player sticks with us sometimes, yes, you know. And it's it unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It does. It does. And it, you just watching him in that last game, and his offensive line's not blocking for him, and he, he just can't throw the ball like he used to throw the ball, and he just he wasn't the same guy. You know, it, look, he's still a good quarterback. I mean, the guy threw for all the over 4,000 yards this year. Yeah. But he wasn't the same guy, and it wasn't the same team. And you just kind of see him like he started. This is the first year I thought I watched him play where he looked old, to be honest with you. Like, I understand why he didn't retire to this point in time because he's an ultra competitor. And the only reason that he is stayed as long as he did is is the same reason why he was as great as he was. Because Tom Brady's not in the same universe as a guy like John Elway when it comes to just tools. 
nah. right? But he's he was great because he had a supreme confidence in himself, and he was one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet in your life. He's in that Larry Bird, Michael Jordan competitiveness. Uh, you, you remember, you remember like, the first platform. Super Bowl against the Rams when he was just headbutting offensive linemen yes. in, in the in the tunnel? Yes. It's like that's not fake, man. It's no. not fake. It's that's legitimate. That is authentic competitiveness yes. in his regard. He's flat out that guy, and you know, just got somebody in the chat calling him overrated. Guy won seven Super Bowls. There's nothing overrated about <laughs> him. You may not like him, but the reason he was able to have the success that he had is because he is that ultra competitor and it's hard for those guys to hang it up. And here's the difference between like Tom Brady and John Elway. John Elway retired because he felt he physically couldn't hold up anymore because of the injuries. Cause he played in a different era where an ACL injury was a lot more devastating to your career than it is now. Tom Brady has with the exception of that one year, he got his knee torn up has been able to avoid the big injuries and his body is still in good health you know and and so that competitive he didn't have that send-off like peyton manning was like i just can't i can't do this anymore i can't he physically can't throw, I, I throw can't the ball anymore, anymore. <laughs> john elway was like dude i'm falling on the ball like i you know I, I just don't have it anymore tom brady never had that moment and so i understand why it's harder for him to leave but the reality is is um it, i just was a little saddened by it because i mean look i don't particularly like him personally uh, I, I, there's just some things about him. I, I, the obsession with him that some people have, and all, I mean, there's just a lot of things about him, um, that I don't particularly care for, but you also know that he was, he was great. He was a, he was one of the best ever. To, is he the goat? He's the greatest winner of all time. I mean, that's indisputable seven Super Bowls. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Who knows? I'll just say this. If I'm starting a team, he's not my first pick. He's not my quarterback. If I had to get you know stuck with him, I'd be pretty darn happy. But he's not my first; he's probably not my second or third pick either. Hey, he was he was in some forced situation, but he was a he was a winner. But again, all the things that led to that success, Ryan, are why you knew he was going to stay too long. You just knew he was. Yeah. You hoped he wouldn't, but you knew he was. And right. I was kind of hope that's why I was hoping he left. That's why I was hoping last year was it for him because he he had such a great year last year: five thousand yards, forty three touchdowns. He was still like playing really well, right? But you could even see then a little bit of the deterioration physically. And then this year, just it kind of, you know. Yeah. And even his even his down year this year is still better than a lot of guys' best sure. years, right? It's it's sure. like, I'm just glad that he didn't quite get to the Brett Favre level, right? Where you're just like, Brett, like, it's over, man. Just, just, right. just get, stop. It's, right. it's not happening anymore, you know? Like, right. Brett Favre was a guy that just did not understand when to stop, right? And right. I think that Tom has a better understanding. Maybe it should have been after last year, but regardless, I yeah, mean, got- to a degree, he had a. I think, I think, but see, here's the thing: I, I wonder if he would have walked away if the personal stuff hadn't happened during the year. You know, if the, his wife decided not to leave him, would he would he still have walked away? I, I don't know the answer to that, and unfortunately, yeah. we won't find the answer to that because you know you never. I don't want to wish that on anybody, but. Uh, but look, the reality is, is how do I feel? Whenever a guy retires, you kind of have a reflection on his career. Yeah. And the reality is, is Tom, Tom Brady's one of the best winners we've ever seen in pro football. I mean, one of the greatest winners he, we've ever seen. He, he threw for 90,000 yards, right. 650 touchdowns or whatever it was, right. seven Super Bowls. Like, 
the guys and and yeah. any and you want to say, well, you know, the Patriots were this, that, and the other thing. And I'll say, well, just look what Bill Belichick has been since Tom Brady left, and look what Tom Brady did when he left. Exactly. Yeah. The Patriots have pretty much been mediocre to bad since he left, and Bill and Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl. Just go look at um, just go look at Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady, and your I think opinion changes a little bit. So. Yeah. Because what uh, the year that he had, um, um. The year that he had, uh, what was it? Matt Castle took over for Brady. I mean, they still made the playoffs, but then they lose in the first round that year. Matt Castle, they, they, I don't think they made the playoffs that year. I think that was they were eleven they and five. The they, they didn't make the playoffs. What, I don't. It just don't says a lot about how. The, what year was that? Do you remember? That would be night two thousand eight. You know, now that you say that, Ryan, I think that you're you're. I think you're actually correct on that. They didn't. Make I, think, the I think that was the only time in like twenty years the Patriots didn't make the playoffs or something like that. It was. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Let's look at the standings. Yeah, the Patriots uh, did not. They went eleven and five, but did not make the playoffs because they went mm-hmm. seven and five in their conference. Uh, the Dolphins made it that year. I mean, now you've got t- this year. He makes the playoffs with a losing record. It just like the worst mm-hmm. team in the playoffs in 2008 were the Chargers at eight and eight. Everybody's 11 and 5, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 12 and 4, 13 and 3. That was also the year that the Cardinals went to the Super Bowl with a 9 and 7 record. Yeah. So, but, uh, so there's always been a little element ever since the wild card was, uh, you know, brought about. But yeah, I mean, look, I, Bill Belichick is great. Tom Brady's great. They were really great together. Right. Yeah. But and they to, were the best together. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't win super six Super Bowls just because you, you play in a certain franchise, which is why it's never been done before. Right? right. And then once he once he went to Tampa Bay and won one, you're like, OK, that yeah. that conversation's over. It, it's now. it's not just the system anymore. Like, right. Stop. Not with the right. system. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, kill, kill, kill the system talk. The system didn't follow right. the Tampa Bay. Come on now. Right. He, he won a Super Bowl 43 years, years old with uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. You know, he, he finished as a runner up for the MVP award at the age of 44. You know, he was, he was great. What's funny is the best team he was ever on. They didn't even win a Super Bowl. What's still the Moss. craziest thing. Yeah. It's that yeah. Randy Moss team. They're like 50 touchdowns that year. Oh, yeah. And eight yeah. picks. Yeah. It was insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. So, yeah, but uh, look, you, what I think is happening is I think there's some, some really upset feelings about Tom Brady because of the way that he was covered. Yeah, uh, a lot of the ways that I think a lot of people didn't like Tim Tebow. You know, and, and there's I, a lot of reasons why people didn't like Tim Tebow. But one of them was is just because we'd be watching a game between two teams that have nothing to do with Florida, and the yeah. announcer started talking about Tim Tebow. Right. You know, and I think that's kind of part of it too. He was protected a lot, and and that's true. Yes. But that doesn't take sure. away from his greatness, right? It doesn't. Well, also, we we need to separate the like some people I think don't like him as a person, which sure. fine, it's fine. But like you can't project I, I'm, that I'm there upon with him. You. Yeah, but I mean yeah. that doesn't make him less of a great player. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. doesn't at all. Yeah. It at yeah. all. I mean, that's it, that's like OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson was a terrible person, but he was still a great football player. Like, there's no doubt, right? <laughs> you went to the extreme on that I one. Like, hey, let me think of a murder. Yeah, let's man. talk about a murder. Yeah, awful um, person, but a great player. Right, like, that's right, it is. right. Yep. But it still doesn't. I mean, it still doesn't mean he wasn't a a, cha- a, a great player. You yeah. know. So anyway. That's a, that's gonna do it for today's show, right? I thought that was an interesting way to end on the mailbag talking about Tom Brady. Look, we we got a chance to watch the one of the best competitors ever play, no doubt. And um, as much as I disliked him, it was one of those ones where man, I hate that guy. But then you tip your tap to just how good he was, right? Yes. And, yeah, you, know, you could argue his first couple Super Bowls were because of how good the defense was, and that's fair. But you can't really say that about the last you know five. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. 
Uh, but that's what that, that's the I, I hate that argument too because that's the thing people say. Well, Elway only got two rings because he played on great teams. Well, duh, you know, you know what I mean. Like, name me a guy that's won a Super Bowl on a bad team. You know, I mean, it just it doesn't happen. Yeah, of course you won a Super Bowl with a great team. That's what you do when you win Super Bowls. You're part of a great team. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 see. We'll see how we'll see how kind of who that who takes that mantle. And I and I think that. You know, the NFL quarterback now in the NFL is in a weird position, Ryan, because yep. at the top, it is special. Elite, there are some yes. great players. And I mean, Josh Allen's got a chance to be just one of the all time greats, has a chance to be. Pat Mahomes is already in that conversation because of the yep. success he's had. I mean, Josh Adams put up great numbers, MVP. Pat Mahomes has the postseason success to be with. I mean, Pat Mahomes is what, 28? Something like that, yeah. And he's about to play in what his third, fourth Super Bowl, third Super Bowl, third, third Super third Bowl, Super Bowl. Yep. Yep. got a chance to win a second, and he's put up monster numbers. And and you know you take away his best dynamic receiver, and 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 what does he do? He goes back out and leads him back to the Super Bowl. You know, dude, his um, receivers last week were Marquez Valdez Scantling and Marcus Kemp. Yeah, that was his receivers last week, and he was so. playing on a bad ankle. I mean, yes. you, you're you're watching greatness, <laughs> up and coming greatness. Joe Burrow is is into that conversation now, where these guys have a chance to be all time greats, or at least of their of their generation. But then after that, there's this huge cavernous gap between the two. Chasm, yeah, yeah. And and so you know, that's so why I'm hoping a Trevor Lawrence can emerge. I'm hoping Justin Fields breaks out because the NFL is more fun when the quarterback play is great. I'm I'm not talking about how they protect quarterbacks and so they're putting up numbers. There's a big difference between numbers and greatness. Kirk Cousins has will have Hall of Fame numbers when he retires. He's actually, Ryan, got Hall of Fame numbers now. Yeah. If you look at, like, and you compare his numbers to, like, the John Elways and the guys like that that are Hall of Famers. I mean, Kirk Cousins has Hall of Fame numbers if you just look at it, right? I mean, the guy's got – well, let me look at his numbers here. He's got 37,000 passing yards, and he's only been a starter for, like, eight years, right? I mean, he's got – He's got 252 touchdown passes. He's two years away from tying John Elway in touchdown passes. Yep. Right? So it's not about numbers. The era in the league is where the numbers come from. It's about greatness. And you and I can watch two guys put up the same exact stats and say one guy is great and the other guy is a product of the system or the product of the times. Right? And so it's not about numbers. I like watching greatness. And the NFL is better when there's great quarterback play. Why do people count the 80s as one of the golden eras of the NFL? It's because there was great quarterback play like across the board. Yeah. Right. Guys that were at the bottom of the league back then would be like top 10 quarterbacks now, top 15 quarterbacks now. And that's just the reality of it. And so I hope that the Justin Herberts can take that next step, that the Trevor Lawrence's can take that next step to get into that echelon, which to me right now, after the last couple of years that Lamar Jackson's had, he's not in that category right now. For me, it's Burrow, Mahomes, and Allen amongst the young players. But then, you know, Lamar get back on track. You know, hope Herbert can take that step. You know, hope J- Trevor Lawrence can take that step, right? Because I think the NFL will will, will be in that will be. I think I think I think Burroughs deserves to be in that category now, don't you? I mean, he's had his team yeah. in the AFC he's Championship back to back years. He's beaten Josh Allen. He's three and one in games against Mahomes. I think he's in that conversation. He he, he doesn't fantastic. have the championship and all that, but he's per damn good, per darn good quarterback. Sorry, excuse my language. But I think those are the th- of the young guys. Those are those three are in a category of their own. Am I missing somebody? I wouldn't put Lamar in that category. I mean, we had the MVP, but zero playoff wins and 
what's he done the last couple of years? And I, I think he kind of been banged up a ton. Yeah. And then this year too, like with not traveling with your team and, you know, like, look, bro, I know you got some contract stuff, but you're not even going to travel with the team to support your players in the playoffs. That didn't sit well with me. You know, yeah. it really didn't sit well with me. So uh, that's where I'm at, Ryan. I don't know what your stance is on that, but um, yeah. I just, I mean, I mean, we're, I'm nervous we're over, about the future quarterback play. I mean, over the last few years, there's been a lot of the, better quarterbacks of the last era that are starting to retire, right? I mean, you talk about Drew Brees, obviously. Philip Rivers was one a few years ago that was a really good quarterback in that era. Talk about the – you know, Aaron Rodgers is declining. Matt Ryan's done. Like, there's just a bunch of the really good quarterbacks from the last era that are getting out. So, you need to replenish that stock at the top. But, yeah. So, I agree. I think we're on the same page on that one. Yep. So that's going to do it. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Hey, folks, just like my my guy Milton fan says, uh, smash that like button, folks. Like button, folks. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. When you don't leave us a five-star review, Ryan gets really sad. And so, you know, do it for Ryan, people. Please do it for Ryan. Hit that, hit that like button. Just share this podcast. Five-star review. Sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. And most importantly, have a great rest of your day. You got two hours before me and Vince are going to get together at 6 p.m. on the IB Nation Sports Talk Show for our midweek mailbag. So, for Ryan and Brian, have a great rest of your day. And thank you for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>